Welcome back to the November Podcast. It's really starting to feel like fall outside. Happy Thanksgiving! We hope you enjoy this month's podcast. We got a lot of great things going on in November. Thanksgiving at the end of November. I hope that cheering wrestlers do we well this year. Welcome to Oh Cali Con. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for having us. So our Spanish three and four students created an ofrenda for Day of the Dead. And welcome back, everyone, to the November edition of the OSSB Podcast. This is Mr. Kelly and the podcast team. As you're enjoying digesting all that food that you're taking in over Thanksgiving, we hope to enjoy what we have to present this month. Thank you so much for your continued support. The OSSB Podcast is doing very well on the Track Stats page, and we really appreciate you guys taking an hour out of your month to listen to what's going on at the Ohio State School for the Blind. Hi. So our Spanish 3 and 4 students created an ofrenda for Day of the Dead. That is a tactile ofrenda that anybody is able to come down and see and touch and experience. That way they can have a bit of Mexican culture this holiday. An ofrenda is an altar that most people have in their homes during the Day of the Dead, and it's a way to remember their friends and family members who have passed away. Ours has all of the traditional elements that a regular ofrenda would have. Sarah is holding some right now. We have some fruit, which is a traditional thing found on the altar because when the spirits return, a lot of times they want to have the favorite foods of the person. So fruit is very common. We have apples on ours. We have candles flameless candles that are supposed to light the way for the spirits who are able to return and find their way back to their loved ones. We have marigolds, which are the flower of the dead. A lot of families line the pathways from the cemeteries all the way to their house with marigolds because the petals are so bright that they can attract the spirits. We also have Autumn is holding up so beautifully. Um, Las Calacas, which are skeletons who often look like humans and are seen wearing the kind of fun human clothing and things like that. And a lot of times the Calacas are known for celebrating and getting into the party spirits. And then we also have a Calavera, which is just the skull of the skeleton. And Calaveras are traditionally found in sugar form or sometimes they're made out of ceramics, but ours is made of wax. We have some tissue paper flowers as well on our ofrenda. And the last thing that we have are pictures, which are always found on the ofrenda. But we put a little twist on the pictures rather than doing friends and family members who have passed away. We have the Spanish students who are wearing Dia de los Muertos mask. So the students from Spanish are represented up on the wall by our ofrenda. So we got some exciting things coming up about Braille, like Louis Braille's birthday and the Braille Challenge. And Mrs. Finley is going to tell us about what's happening at OSSB and Braille. Hey, so we have a great contest this year. We're calling it See It, Braille It. And the contest is for students and staff 
to look around, feel around, be around OSSB, and find things that are not accessible to those who read Braille. Um, this could be something in the lunchroom, this could be in a classroom, or even a cottage. It could also include tactile markers, if it not actual uh, Braille characters. So for more information, um, see Mrs. Finley and, or Mr. Kelly, and we can tell you what to do. And there will be a prize for the best staff see it Braille it and a prize for the best student see it Braille it. And how are we going to judge this contest? So this contest will be judged by um, people who know Braille, which would be myself, Mr. Kelly, and Mrs. Wagner, and two students who has have yet not been named, but two students who are proficient in Braille. All right, that sounds great. It sounds like it's going to make a much more Braille-rich environment at OSSB. On November 13th, a few students from the Ohio State School for the Blind took a trip to OcaliCon 2018, where we got to meet and greet with a variety of different vendors and companies. We also got to check out some new technology, such as the Braille Sense Polaris from the company named Hims, which boasts a new and approved word processor and a top-of-the-line graphing calculator. Another amazing group that was there was the Opportunities for Ohio's with Disability, also known as OOD. They specialize in helping people with any disabilities make it out in the real world and have a successful future. Add in live music by Inner Vision, buttery lovely popcorn, and delightful chocolate chip cookies, and it was a fun time had by all. Thank you, OcaliCon. Can't wait to see you guys next year. everyone, I'm Julia and this is the activity calendar for December. The wrestlers and cheerleaders will return from Tennessee on December 2nd. December 3rd, little NC paperwork is to be sent home and interims are due. December 4th is the Lions Club party. December 7th is the band and vocal ensemble holiday gig at 9am. December 13th is the winter recital at 1.30 and concert at 6.30. And finally, winter break is from December 24th to January 4th. It's the month of November, and that means it's time for wrestling and cheerleading to get started. Both teams gathered in the gym for their first practices in the second week of November, I believe. They have the opportunity to come and help out a couple of days a week. Wrestlers are coached by Mr. Heath and Mr. Lee. Cheerleaders are being coached by Miss Trop and Miss Swisher. Our wrestlers this year will be Carl, Evan, Ian and Marwan, they're the Fantastic Four, and you can hear me in the background working with the wrestlers on shooting a hat. Up next, we have two very unique stories. Life of people who are blind and visually impaired in Romania and Albania. On the OSSB podcast, we are always excited to make new connections in our community and across the globe. This month, we will meet Laurie from Romania, who is a graduate student, and her dog guide, Tina. We will also meet Lori from Albania, a psychologist who is using art therapy 
to foster social skills with children who are blind or visually impaired. Their stories are fascinating, and we hope you enjoy this segment as much as we did learning from what these ladies shared with us. Good morning, you guys. Our guests are <laughs> Lorita and Lari. All right, and I'm just going to have you guys introduce yourselves and talk about where you're from this morning. Um, you want to start first? Okay, I will. So, good morning, everyone. Thanks for having us first. I'm Larissa. My friends call me Lari. I come from Romania, and I'm here in a program called Professional Fellows, and I'm doing my internship at the American Council of the Blind, and I have Vicky Prayan as mentor. And, well, in Romania, I'm a volunteer for the National Association of the Blind. In fact, there we have the main quarter in the capital, in Bucharest, but every city has a chapter or a branch, yeah? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I live in Sibiu, in the center of Transylvania, and Transylvania here is popular for Dracula, so you kind of know that I come from Dracula country. And, yeah, I'm a volunteer and the vice president there, and I'm trying to work with blind people to teach them English, assistive technology, sometimes mobility trainings. And I study languages... I'm a PhD student. I kind of finished the first year. Um, yeah, so this is my job. Next to me, there is Tina. She's my guide dog. She's four years old, but she's a guide dog um, from, from two years. Guide dogs are not at all popular in Romania. We have very few uh, guide dogs compared with the, with the US. And I'm so happy that I'm here and I met so many guide dogs and so many wonderful friends. And I guess that Tina will learn a lot of stuff here as well, like techniques and other things that we need to work upon. Well, in Romania, in Transylvania, in Sibiu, my hometown, the infrastructure is quite good. I worked to some local, uh, for some local campaigns in order to have audible signal traffic lights. And uh, yeah, this is challenging to walk in Romania with a guide dog because of the infrastructure and because of the preconceptions. People are not informed. Not all of them are informed about guide dog. And we are trying to to inform people. And I guess that the best way to... The best way to get people informed is to walk with a guide dog and to get out there on the streets so people can see you. Because if they don't see you, if you're at your home, uh, you can't inform people from there. Even if in Romania we have a law which says that guide dogs are allowed to enter public places, in vain there is this law if people don't have any knowledge about it. And it's not people's fault that they are not informed. So we should do something about it. I'm working... I'm working to do that. Since I walk with Tina almost from two years, uh, two years ago, we started walking around the city. I I saw I really saw a change. People are smiling to us. They are greeting us. We don't have any more barriers when we are trying to to enter in a public place or institution. But in other cities in Romania, things are not like that. So that's why we need guide dogs and we need white cane canes. So people can see that we are able to do, uh, with some tools, whatever they can do. Well, thank you. Come back to you in just a second. Mm-hmm. And on my left over here... Is uh, Lorella Musa from Albania. I'm here, as Larissa said, for a professional fellowship uh, founded by USA Department of State. 
Uh, in Albania, I work as an organizational psychologist, as a trainer for personal development. Um, nearly three years ago, I started a volunteer program for social inclusion and emotional stability of children with visual impairment. The program is called uh, Social Artistry Colorful People. The main activity uh, are art therapy, uh, handmade crafts and paintings. Uh, so uh, we don't work only with uh, paintings or uh, art crafts. We work mainly uh, with social development skills. We have made a combination of psychologists and painters in, in this program. So are children who are visually impaired and blind, yes. are they partnered up with other children who are neurotypical in terms of being in the, the public school setting or how does that, how does um, that work? Okay, uh, we have uh, only as an institution, it's um, function as a school and for their accommodation because uh, we have the only one that gathers all the children from all uh, across, uh, all from Albania. In this institution they are doing uh, also education uh, is covered and accommodation because they are not going at home every every day or every week or month. Okay. It's not uh, school with other children. Actually, it's a little bit isolated. But this is the reason that I started this program just to to do something for this target group. That sounds great. So it sounds like so these. Uh, children who are blind and visually impaired, they're all going to the same school, right? Yes. They're from all over Albania. Yeah. And they come and they're and they're there for weeks and months at a time, right? Yes. You've started this program, the art program. There, yeah, art program. Right? And it pairs um, art, psychology, and social skills. Yeah. All this program is in volunteer way. Okay. Yeah. Right. We don't have any support from government or from the other. And uh, during the year, we organize three or four exhibitions. And uh, uh, one per year, we organize an exhibition for fundraising just to buy the materials like uh, canvas and, and uh, colors. Because we don't have uh, where to find the materials. To work with children, you have to have some materials. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, to make things tangible. And the most of the work is organized by by children. After th three years, we we have achieved something. It was something new in Albania to use art for a social uh, change. Oh, that's great. It sounds like you both are working on social change yeah. mm -hmm. and breaking down barriers. We are um, trying to. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and in Romania, how has it been in, in Romania? You talk about getting out with your dog guide and traveling around the cities and using transportation. Yeah. Are, are there laws... Um, yeah, of course. In, in Romania, uh, the laws are uh, the same as in Europe because R Romania belongs to the European Union. Laws doesn't help a lot if people, I told you, if people are not informed about anything. Right. So then campaigns and successful stories would help a lot. And regarding schools, there, there are few schools for the for the visually impaired. Kids go there, so it is not common in Romania 
for, for kids to integrate in public schools. I also went to a school for the blind since I was 15 and then I wanted to I wanted to move on to high school and I really wanted to integrate in a public school but this is not this is not common. Okay, is high school there the yeah, same high as high school here? Yeah, the same. The okay. same. From okay. 15 until 19, I guess. Gotcha. Something like that. And then I moved on to the to the university. And so, uh, well, how was that like being visually impaired and going to the university uh, in Europe? Were well, people pretty first, receptive? I had wonderful classmates and wonderful teachers. Of course, I had to explain everything, how I plan to do that, how I plan to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to tell them that I need this, like the questions for a test paper on the computer and stuff like that. Okay. Communication was the key. I spent one year at university. I, I started studying foreign languages, like English and French. Mm-hmm. And then I went, uh, I went to study abroad two years. Uh, wow. Because I wanted to learn also Italian, so I went. I moved to Bologna, okay. and I lived there for one year. And then I moved to Brussels for another year. And then I came back, came back in Romania, and now I'm, I started my PhD. It's it's quite a challenge, you know, because for example, in high school, I was able to to write on the computer for example like English, Romanian and history, geography but for mathematics it was pretty pretty challenging and I had to write them in braille. It was not my one of my uh, skills mathematics. Mm-hmm. Is, <laughs> so, it, well, do, is braille widely used? Yeah it is Romania, but um, I was explaining to Lori that in Romania we are not taught to write in contractions so our, our books in that school were all all written in letter by letter. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So when you started, when you began studying English, you had to learn all those contractions too. I had to. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's you know amazing that you guys are working together because you talk about how necessary it is to be able to communicate and, yeah. and talk about what you need. And we that's actually exactly met here in the U.S. I didn't know Lori before. Oh. Yeah, we met in Toledo, right? Yes. Wow. (laughs) She's from Romania. I'm from Albania. And we didn't know each other. We applied to the same program. Lori. Yes. How long have you been working with the blind and visually impaired? Uh, Only only three years. Three years? Yeah. And what kind of sparked the interest to do that, to get involved with this population and Actually, I have more than eight years that I'm involved in civil society in different uh, social projects. And um, I, I have worked for three years in theater. I invited marginalized groups in theater to, to see the shows for free. Mm-hmm. When you start something new in Albania, it's very difficult. In Romania as well. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's probably uh, everywhere, right? Yeah. People are, a, lot, a lot of times we're very resistant what, what to change. What she's doing, but actually social artistry in other countries is something new. Mm-hmm. Because I have worked before with theater, uh, invisible theater, oppressed theater, uh, just to use art for social change, you know? Right. Sorry, so, my English is... No, 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 <laughs> so through the theater... <laughs> Through your work with the theater, you you, yeah. you learned about this population um, and became interested in, uh, in bringing this population out a little bit, it sounds yeah. like. Also, I had some personal reason to work with minorities uh, and marginalized group uh, because uh, in my family, my aunt uh, is deaf, but I couldn't work with deaf institutes. It comes from inside. 
it's something that sounds like you have a, a, a great passion for. And I think it's yes. great. That, that's that's uh, wonderful. I, uh, we, in, in, in that program, we, we have a lot of fun. It's not just work. Sounds like my class. It's just fun. <laughs> it's just Therapy. fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's great. I mean, this is great stuff. And I, and I think that, you know, the, the more opportunities that blind and visually impaired people have to have access to things like art and things that are visual in nature, yeah. Um, it, I think you, you would probably agree with me, I do. Laurie, that I it, do. it will help you uh, be successful. We have um, to avoid segregation. Yeah. Uh, and to, um, because, you know, I was telling Laurie that anyway, we can't, we can't live forever in our circle of blind friends. Mm-hmm. We have to get out there and to integrate, to mingle with the other community. Because uh, in schools for the blind in Romania, they are they are kind of creating a closed circle, you know. Mm-hmm. And when you move out of out of this circle in order to look for a job, you start to complain. Oh, I don't find a job. Oh, people are discriminating me. Oh, yeah, I understand that. But let's th- let's start integrating, in getting integrated into the community from an earlier age, and then things will start moving step by step. We can't change things in one year or very quickly, you know? Right, people, right. people want and expect changes quickly. Mentalities don't change so quickly. That is very we true. We can change a law. We can change, we can install uh, signals, audible signals at the traffic light, but the mentalities are not changing. Right. And, it, and, you, and going back to what you were talking about earlier, is to change that is being visible in your community and helping people yeah. become aware yeah, sure. uh, that people with visual impairments and blindness exactly. do exist. A funny thing that happens to me on the streets in Sibiu, when people have dogs like pets and when they are walking with them, they know that Tina is working and they are trying to avoid us to go on the other side. Mm. Oh. And this is really nice. Yeah, and and but you probably you have the opposite happen as well. You probably meet a lot of people and, and engage in conversation. Yeah, I did. I with, did with complete strangers exactly, because exactly. of Tina. Right? I could talk to everyone, no matter if I'm in a hurry. If someone was uh, is asking me what is a guide dog, I stop there and I'm explaining, because today I'm explaining to you. Maybe tomorrow you'll explain to one of your friends or two of your friends, and like this we can spread the information. Yeah. So talk about talk about Tina's story a little bit. How did you guys meet? Where did where did you go to? Where did you go to uh, guide dog school and and that sort of thing? Uh, well, um, Tina's story is a bit different from other dogs because I know that here guide dogs live in a family first and then they move to the, to the training and then to the to their owner. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have right. Tina. When I came back from Italy, my parents wanted to get me a welcome present and they, they asked me, what do you want as a present? And I said, oh, please, I would like a pet and I'd like a Labrador that I could work <laughs> later in order to become a guide dog. So I have Tina since she was two months or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then I I moved in Brussels and my parents stayed with her at home. And they started to work with different trainers in order to teach her basic stuff. And then we moved to the specialized training. And I worked with the NGO in Romania, which is called Angel Dog. 
Okay. And there, there is someone who's, uh, who, who is training guide dogs, and uh, I worked with him. He came to our place uh, to teach us routes, but I got involved 100% in Tina's training. So I didn't go to a guide dog school and say, hey, I want a dog, please give me this dog, and then I w- went home. No, I worked with her sometimes day and night and with the trainer, and after the trainer left, um, I had a lot of family support. My dad was walking to me mal- with me miles and miles and explaining to me the central area and everything that I needed to know in order to go to the university, to the NGO, to the supermarket, to drink a coffee, something like that. And, right. and really, we spent, I'm not exaggerating, but hundreds of hours on the streets and he explained to me everything. And also the trainer, he, he got very involved and we, we were meet, meeting often and uh, I was calling him, what do I do in this case, what do I do in that case? Mm-hmm. I was reading mainly materials on the internet. I had friends in Italy and in Belgium who were guide dog users. I, were, uh, I was asking them a lot of questions. And yeah, these days I'm asking Vicky <laughs> a lot mm-hmm. of stuff too. <laughs> Yeah, well, so it was uh, it was a hard work, but uh, I'm, the big achievement for us is that we managed to travel together, and she's a great dog. Sounds like you make a great team. She yeah. loves working. Every morning she's waking up and she's like, hey, I want to work. When she sees the harness, she's really happy. Yeah, she's playful, but she settles quite, quite fast. Going back to Lori, yes. how, how do you envision your program growing uh, from what it is now where, where do you want it to be what is your large I guess your big goals big goals is to find something after they finish uh, education in uh, that institute they are uh, they have nothing to do just to go in their uh, home their cities and uh, government doesn't do anything for this target group so there's no college no work no Anything like that? No, anything. And uh, with the group that uh, I'm working, I have to advocate for just for them to go art high school and uh, in University of Arts. I want to do that for I can do for all the, the children, but uh, I can do for most of the group that I work. And you sort of getting your students to to buy into those advocacy skills themselves, yeah. I imagine. Also uh, to develop, uh, as I mentioned before, to develop social skills for the social skills are, are helping them in the in the future. And uh, of course the emotional emotional stability is very important for this target group because they don't have what to do else after they finish uh, studying hours. Uh, there, there is nothing, nothing funny for them. I think you got, I got, I think you got a good role model over here <laughs> to my right, right, uh, to somebody to come back and say this is this is how it can be done. And with Laurie over here, you guys talked about doing some community organization. Right? Yeah, this is what we are planning to do when we move back in our countries and to take. Uh, whatever concepts we can from here mm-hmm. uh, and to to start to implement them there and uh, to start talking to people and gathering them. 
That is wonderful. This is a wonderful story, guys. I really appreciate you taking time to reach out not only to our school here, but going out on the podcast. I mean, it's some some of these get over 800 plays a month. Wow. So you, you got you got a pretty big audience out there. So I really appreciate that. And uh, Julia or Jeremiah are also sitting here. And do you guys have a qu- any questions? Um, I just want to know how old are you, Lori? Me? Yeah, I'm 25. Oh. <laughs> and so Tina is four. Yeah. <laughs> Tina is four. Yeah, Tina is four. But she looks very young. Everyone is telling me, oh, this is a nice puppy. Well, you know, guys, she's not a puppy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, really, thank you for these amazing questions and, and uh, for talking to us and for being interested in what we are doing. Thank you so much for well, offering us you. this opportunity. Thank the American Council for the Blind for having you guys over. Yay! Um, Special thanks to Vicky and Peace. For, uh, <laughs> for, for Lori Kaplan for bringing you around yeah. the school. Thank Absolutely. you. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Lori. You know, looking forward here. to having lunch today, maybe. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, sampling some school food. <laughs> 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 we are going to feel like students again. <laughs> hey. Like kids again. It's yeah. a good feeling. It yeah, is. It, it's it is. always, you know, if you're a kid at heart, it's always good to feel like a kid again. Yeah. Thank stuff. you. Yeah. And greetings to all of the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and up next, we would like to introduce you to a new member of the podcast team. We are very grateful to have her on board. Did a lot of great work when she was in the 7th and the 8th grade. And here she is right now. Hi, my name is Emily Wilson, and I'm very thrilled to be part of the podcast team. And today we're interviewing the OSSB girls goalball team just after the conference. So if you all could introduce yourselves, that would be much appreciated. Hi, my name is Yachi, and I'm a senior this year, and I played center. Hi, my name is Lolita. Um, I'm a senior plus. I played left wing. Hi, my name is Matt. I played either left wing or center. Hi, my name is Autumn. I played all of the positions. Hi, my name is Sarah. I played right wing. And I'm Emily, and I played right wing. So... We just finished up the conference, and what do you guys think about that? I think it was pretty good. I think there was um, really good teamwork, um, lots of communication, and um, good sportsmanship. Oh, yeah. And a lot of uplifting comments from other team and ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think that getting third is pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah it is. We work really, really hard, especially Yachi. Lolita and Sarah, since they're the seniors, and y'all did great. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, we worked our butts off. Yeah, the rest of you guys did really well. With support. Yeah. So. Yeah, like we just—it's cool because like when you're in the game, you're kind of like everywhere, and then when you get into it, you kind of get this connection, and you like you know where everything is, and you don't—you start to get like really calm and relaxed in it because you know you start out pretty tense. And then, you know, because it's a big deal, you're going against a team in a, com- you know, in a conference. Yeah, we definitely have very good communication, which um, helped all of us stay on the same page. And yeah, we all had fun. We didn't take it too seriously, so. I mean, we took it seriously, but not. We didn't stress out over it. 
So, we got third place this year for the girls. That's a pretty big accomplishment rather than past years where we didn't place at all. What do you think played a part in that? Definitely good communication, being calm, having good defense, because defense is what wins the games, not offense. Just overall, we worked well. Yeah. And we had a good time, and we're very relaxed. And if you just have a good time, you're having a good time. Like, how could you, you know, and that makes the game go quicker and smoother if you're having fun. Yeah, rather than being stressed out over something most likely can't control. Yeah. So, we all played very well, I will say that. Our boys team didn't do too hot, but I mean, they were they did good for being the only three on the team. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, three of you are seniors, and you're going to be leaving this year. Is there any parting words that you want to give to any future goalball players or the goalball players right now? Um, I would say um, don't argue with your team, don't fight with your team. If there's a conflict between two members or more, try to work it out and, um, and just like, you know, try to support each other. Hopefully that won't be a problem. I mean, we all are pretty tight-knit here, so it shouldn't really be that big of an issue. Um, I mean, I second what Lita said, but I'd also say have good communication when you're out on the court. Um, remember that defense wins games, and also especially for the upcoming players, um, just to remember that not everything is on you, and it's a team sport, it's not a one-on-one. -on -one. So just make sure, just remember that, yeah, if someone scores a goal on you, whatever, it's, it's fine, you'll be okay. You have to have people who have your back on your, the same side you're on. So don't stress and don't take things too hard. Mm -hmm. so. And like, when you're in a game, don't like, you know, it's going to be easy to get mad at like, oh my god, why did you get that? Like, I'll have that moment. You kind of have to think like, hey, you know, they're stressed too. And they're feeling exactly what you're feeling. And if you mess up, you mess up and you got to support each other. Because if, yeah. you, if you start pressuring that person when they're already under pressure, that's just going to make it worse. So oh, yeah. I, you definitely want to support each other. Even if you mess up, you're like, it's okay. You got this, you know? Not like... I completely agree with you, but it's... Also, you said defense wins games, but you also mentioned relaxing and staying calm. Is there any advice you get, can give about how to do that? Um, my advice would be to focus on the thing at hand. So if the ball is coming at you, focus on laying out and listening to where the ball is. Don't, in that moment, don't think about, oh, where should I throw when I get this ball? Think, think about where do I need to lay out and think about I need to lay out. Like sometimes I'll tell myself in the game, if I hear the ball, just in my head, too late out, because sometimes I'll forget, because I'm focused on where the ball's coming at, not getting down on the ground. So focus on one thing at a time, compartmentalize, um, definitely don't let outside things distract you, and also just communicate, communicate with your team, because most likely they're going to feel very similarly to what you're feeling at the moment. So if you guys support one another, you guys can help each other relax. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, like I said, with the yeah, with the support, you definitely, you you definitely guys like it's like Matt earlier when we were playing, he would calm me like you like you got this, you got this, and it did. It helped me play a lot, lot better against Missouri because it helped. And when you calm each other, it, it's very relaxing, and it's like yeah, you're right. I gotta trust these people when we play. Mm -hmm. So it's all about. Reassuring each other that everything that's what you've got each other and you got to reassure each other that it's gonna be okay. Yeah, 
Um, I try to pretend that I'm at home in focus, and I give each different team play, like on the other op opposing team, I give them each a name of a player that I would go against at home because I'm like, oh, that's just them, you know. I'm in just try to get a feel for the court and just think that you're at home in Ohio playing against your team. Yeah. I know I personally, when I'm playing, I tend to panic when the ball hits me, but then I realize it's just the ball. It's not going to hurt you, and if you catch it, it'll be gone. That's pretty much, that's my... Yeah, you want to be able to find something that works for you, especially like early on, so that you can not stress about the little things and focus on, you know, having fun and playing a game and not stress about these distractions around you. Okay, so that's pretty much what our weekend has been. The girls took home third place. Our boys didn't fare too well, but they did their best. That's all we can say. And I thank you all for doing this interview. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're gonna yeah, miss bro. we're gonna miss you, Yachi, Sarah, and Melita. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Guys, good luck to the new team. Yep. One, two, three, Panthers! Here we are with our alumni focus for the month, Dan Lore. This is me and Mr. Kelly, and we're going to interview him today. How you doing, Dan? How y'all doing? Doing great, man. It's so great to have you on a podcast. I remember you when you were in high school, so it's good to catch up with you again. <laughs> full circle, I guess, right? Yeah, full circle. So, uh, you know, you were uh, helping me when I was doing my student teaching, or early, actually it wasn't student teaching, it was... Uh, early field observation with Susan Bratton back in, I believe it was 91? 92. 92. Well, 90, well the 91-92 90, school year. Gotcha. Yeah. Somewhere around there. So, Dan, when did you first attend OSSB? Well, I started at the school in early January of 79. I wasn't quite six years old yet. Okay. So, kindergarten? Yeah, I was in kindergarten. Seal Perano and Mary Butler were the first two... Uh, teachers that I you know remember. So Miss Morano was teaching kindergarten back then, huh? Yeah, yeah. Okay. How big was your kindergarten class back then, Dan? Some of those days were were kind of a blur, like because mm -hmm. there was a, like a lot that like because I think they actually combined that year. They may have, been, and I could be wrong in this, but they may have actually combined kindergarten and first grade. I don't yeah. remember. Yeah, I was in a, I was in a few different combined classes um, back you know throughout. I think at one point, fourth and fifth, uh, when I was in fourth and fifth grade, I think again when I was uh, second and third grade, I think at one point, fourth and third, fifth and sixth, uh, something like that. Yeah, so were um, you, but yeah there, there were a few of those that were that were combined like that. Were you uh, living in Toledo then? Um, I am from a little tiny place, a little town called Nevada, Ohio. Nevada. Um, it's a town of about 800 people there, about way, you know, kind of way out in the middle of nowhere. Nevada? Yeah. Hmm. So it's spelled like it's, Nevada? It, it's, it, yeah, it's spelled like Nevada, spelled, you know, but, but we, we just, we called it Nevada. Okay. So you say Nevada, I say Nevada. Right, right, right. Exactly. Come on, you're supposed to say Nevada, and I was going to say Nevada. Right. Tomato, tomato, right? Nevada, Nevada. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. So what caused your eye condition? Uh, retinopathy of prematurity. I was born two months premature. Uh, I think I weighed like two pounds, six ounces at birth. So it was all the, the too much oxygen. So were you completely blind, congenitally blind uh, since birth? 
Yeah, uh, I had some light perception out of one eye till I was about 14, and then I lost that. But I think I was like 14. Gotcha. So you were an hour north of the school, so were you always residential when you were going to OSSB? Always residential. Gotcha. What was residential like back then? Like, did you guys get to go on different trips and stuff? Oh, yeah, we, we, uh, we did. Um, we got to go to a lot of different places. There was a... Um, a some of, the, some of the ones that I remember, you know, going through, there was an ice cream parlor, Ferrell's Ice Cream Park. I don't know what it is now, um, if it's even still there. Used to be in the, the, the old building in the basement. We used to have a skating rink, and then I think they ended up building something else. Once they fixed that, they ended up building a rec center down there. Is that where the bowling alley came from? Yeah, actually, the bowling alley was there, yeah, before I was, um, okay. when it worked. <laughs> We'd go to like different stuff at Ohio State, musicals, plays, you know, that kind of stuff. We did mm -hmm. a lot of that kind of thing. So as you got older, you got to, you, they, did they let y'all get off campus and do things? You got a little more responsibility? Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, yeah. As, you know, obviously, you know, as, as you progress, you know, through, through, you know, as you get older and, you know, you, you, uh, you, know, you mature, quote, unquote. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're still waiting yeah, on that. Um, I think I off-campus pass when I was like 13, 14, something like that. And then it was sort of a progressive kind of thing as you got, as you, you know, acquired more skills, um, you learn, you, you, you gain more privileges. And I think by the time I was, uh, at the end of my junior year, uh, beginning of my senior year, I earned my uh, unlimited uh, off-campus pass, which, you know, obviously gave me pretty much uh, the run of the city if I, if I chose to take it, which I did a couple of times. Yeah, so you can go anywhere, huh? They still do that yeah, and pass on there? No. I actually, oh. heard, I actually heard a story. Um, one of the old uh, O&M instructors actually told me a story of a, a girl who who um, got her unlimited pass, and she went down to the Greyhound station, bought a bus ticket to something like Pittsburgh or something like that, and went to go see her boyfriend. Uh-oh. <laughs> All right. Maybe that's I why we don't have unlimited pass. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah, that was, she, I think that was actually before my time. Yeah, so. she stretched out that word. <laughs> so did you guys have curfew, like, as you got older? You know, we, we did. Um, up until I was about, like, 13, 12, 13, something like that, I'm, I'm, if, I've, if I've got this right. See, the dormitories were divided. Again, the long haul, some of the... Some of the old school uh, Panther Nation people from way back will remember this. You had the old, the the, the long haul and the short haul, and the, in the, in the, we call them the cottages, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, they were generally divided by uh, you know, by age, um, and in some cases by physical uh, capabilities or mental capabilities. And the curfew varied uh, depending on where you were, you know, as far as. Uh, in the in, in in the in the dormitory, and it, you know it also depended on like your age, okay. uh, like you know because I remember you know starting out you know my bedtime you know from the time I was five to about the time I was like nine was like eight was like nine o'clock, mm -hmm. so and then and then you know you, you you start adding on you know you get ten then eleven then you know, right. okay and then y'all stayed the weekends back then too, you know um, yeah uh, when I was starting out um, up until I think I was like nine so I think that would have been like the 81 82 school year I believe this is right uh, most of the there were a lot of kids that stayed 
a lot of the you know, most of the weekends there were some of some of those kids that maybe went home two or three times a year right i was fortunate i was i was pretty lucky i got to go home uh every weekend um as you know and of course we only lived like i said uh, about an hour give or take you know from the school so it was pretty easy to you know to, to, to go home you know on the weekends yeah and so we talked about the residential part of this and Let's talk about the school day a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, I know you had your regular academic classes. Outside of academics, what were some of the other things that, that you did back in the school day back then? Well, like some of the elective classes that we had, like we had uh, like a, a, a wood, uh, there was a woodshop class. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember who taught that. I think that was uh, Mr. Geyer uh, taught that. Okay. I yeah. do believe. No, I know they also that. had... They also had a building maintenance class. Uh, Chuck Whitman taught that. Okay, yeah, Chuck. Mr. Whitman. I actually saw him. I actually saw him about five years ago. I was in Columbus. My daughter was in the hospital there at Riverside, and I actually saw him. Um, you know, he's he, if he's still around, which I don't know. He he would be in his late 80s by now, I think. But, yeah. Uh, so you had, and we also had like a sign engraving class. Jeff Shaw taught that. Yeah. Uh, well, it was kind of a graphics oriented uh, graphics. There was a, we did a lot of work with a lot of the different like sign engraving type machines, vacuum mm -hmm. forming machines, uh, things like that. We did we did some of that. Uh, we had a lot of music classes. Susan Bratton taught those who wanted to learn at keyboard, you know, at different times. John Spangler used to be the band director up until he retired in eighty eighty seven. Now, okay. It, yeah, I, I was pretty close to that anyway. Yeah, yeah. He he was the band director uh, until that point. So you had we had band during the day. We also had uh, Susan Bratton had the uh, high school choir, okay. um, which I was in at that time. You could be in in the choir when you were in seventh grade. There was a lot of stuff you could do from the time you were in seventh grade, clear up through twelfth grade, and then that changed when Bill Bowling became principal. Right after uh, Mr. Warner, right. Yeah, Warner. Yeah, Chris Warner. So, Dan, did you do any sports back then? Uh, yeah, I um, I swam for four years in high school. I ran track three years. Okay. I was also part of the yearbook staff at different at uh, different points. I was in the choir. I was in the band for a minute. So, yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty much what I did. And that's you know. where I met Dan was through the through the music program. Because when I was getting my music education degree, I was going out in a different classrooms and learning how it was being done. and mm -hmm. So I worked with Susan Bratton. And Dan had a better Braille and speak than I had. <laughs> I had just gotten it that year. <laughs> I had the old Braille and speak classic. And I think he, what was that? he had the 640, wasn't it? I had the, yeah, I think so. I, I think that's what it was. I had the, the 640. And, and you, I used to, we, I'd be leaving the, the choir room or whatever, and I'd have to stop by my locker to get my Braille and speak so I could do my homework or act like I was doing my homework <laughs> or something. Um, what other technology did you guys use back then? Uh, we, well, obviously, we had, um, they had uh, three or four Braille and Speaks that the librarian at the time, Beverly Kessler, would sign out to those of us who, who proved proficient right. uh, at them. Uh, which there were actually at that time very there were only a few of us that were totals um, who were using them, and I think the the library had like three or four of them that they would check out, and they would they would kind of 
keep tabs on who had which one. You know, because obviously you're gonna you're gonna have class work on it and you know that kind of thing. So you make sure to get the same unit every day. Right. Yeah. And then later on, um, I got my own probably about uh, a couple months into the school year. I, I proved myself proficient, which I, I had actually already done uh, sometime before. So I got my own probably about just just into my senior year. And um, so we had those. We had a Kurzweil personal reader, the old Kurzweil personal reader. Yeah, uh, I remember that. That was, a, that was a standalone unit with a flatbed scanner. Had the old deck talk speech engine. Uh, there were several, comp- you know, we had uh, several, you know, of course, this was, this was pre-Windows, so, you know, DOS computers, which I, I didn't really take computer classes. At the, I, I did for a while, but I, I focused, they focused mine more on um, adaptive technologies. I had a, a my sophomore year, um, I took a class with, uh, he actually taught math and science in the, in the elementary grade, Don Haynes, mm-hmm. um, who is um, actually a well-known musician, right. you know, in and around the Columbus area. Fabulous piano um, player. And an alumnus of the School for the Blind, uh, and he taught me kind of, sort of, you know, a lot of, um, you know, the the early uh, entries into um, adaptive technologies like Braille and Speak and, and and that kind of thing. So I learned a lot through him, and well, a lot through trial and error, really. Right. Yeah. So armed with all these skills, what what did you do after high school? After you graduated from OSSP? <laughs> well, let's see. Well, life happened pretty quickly after after graduation. I got married mm-hmm. um, about like a month and a half after graduating. So then, like, just about a year later, actually not quite a year later, uh, my first daughter was born. I've done, uh, I sold pizza for a while. I worked at a pizza hut, uh, taking uh, phone orders, carry out delivery, dine-in orders over with a, with a computer, using a, like a terminal program. Okay. And I had an old, 480, uh, an old 486, uh, computer that was set up to emulate their uh, connect to their to their uh, mainframe to their system, uh, so that I could uh, input the orders into the system. And then uh, I did that for several you know for for several years. And I worked in another call center as a kind of like a, a a retention sort of specialist. Uh, people would call talking to me wanting to cancel one of the services that 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 the company I worked for was selling. And it was my job to get to try to keep get them to keep the service, <laughs> and yeah, that was that was rough. That was that was a tough one. I, that, that sounds like that was a tough one because you you never because you, you know a job like that you have a daily retention quota that they that they want you to try to make. Right. And I, it was rare that I actually made it. And yeah. I bet. Yeah. So if people don't want yeah, the service. They don't tough. want it. So would you say OSSB prepared you for a? Uh... All these jobs? I would. Um, I, I think OSSB gave me the, uh, the, the the foundations, obviously the foundations to start with. Mm-hmm. And then I think a lot of it, Andre and Dan, um, I think a lot of it is also just applying. You know, you can have all the education in the world. Okay. But it really doesn't mean anything unless you have, are, unless you're put into situations where you have to use what you've learned, where you have to apply what you've learned. You know, I, 
<laughs> I had to grow up fast. Yeah. And you, you, you realize what you, you, and you find out too when you, you know, you find out how much you don't know. But you also find out how much you do know. And you find out real fast, and you better find out real fast, um, that you're going to, you know, you apply the skills that you're taught. And generally, you're going to do all right. Okay, nothing's ever going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. We all do. Um, but if you stick with your basics and stick with what you know and apply what you know, nine times out of ten, you're going to get it right. Sound like me out there coaching the goalball team or the wrestling team. You know, you play the fundamentals, you win the game, use the skills. I wrestled for a year in uh, junior high. Was that under uh, Mr. Shaw? Yeah. You were definitely involved in it the whole six minutes. Oh, that's the truth. Yeah, that, that, and that can be a pretty long six minutes, especially if you're not that great at it and you're getting your butt kicked. <laughs> <laughs> now, you did, you know, besides these things that you did after high school, you're also a musician too, right? Yeah, I've not done anything lately, but um, I did a lot of uh, KJ work, karaoke work, um, both uh, hosting and, and uh, you know, karaoke contests and things like that. Okay. Not only as the host, but also as a participant. I won some, lost most. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I also did a lot of benefit work for, um, uh, sang at a lot of benefit shows for like um, American Legion, uh, AMVATS, a lot of military organizations, that kind of thing. My uncle was vice commander at our local AMVATS post. And when he found out, oh my gosh, I have a nephew who's got this talent. Um, <laughs> They uh, pretty much recruited me for, for just about any benefit they were doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I was doing a lot of stuff like that. Um, I was in a couple of different bands playing uh, music around the local area uh, different times, uh, too. So, you know, th there was that, too. So if there's anything OSSB could have done different to help you get ready for life, what would it be? You know, I really think that I've noticed, like, you guys have a lot more outreach nowadays than I think we did yeah with, with, with more student involvement out in the community we didn't have as much of that right um, and I really think that you know that's where like you guys differ versus uh, what we have because I think it was there but you really had to look for it and right. you really kind of had to, to struggle to get it whereas I think you I think now it's more um, available for the asking yeah so than what we had. If I'm hearing you right, I would I would hear you saying that you would tell current students to go after that kind those kinds of experiences and fully take advantage of that. Oh, absolutely. I remember one of our house mothers used to say when we were going on trips or whatever, going to a musical or going to some kind of event off campus. You know, we're out in the sighted world, and we need to conduct ourselves appropriately, and this and that. And, and that's actually a true statement. And you have to put yourself in those situations because, you know, you're kind of, I always felt like at the school, we were kind of in this little bubble, you know, kind of in this little protective little bubble because mm. the school sets so far back from, you know, the street and everything like that. We're kind of in this little bubble and, and, uh, and yeah, we had this, uh, you know, students from Ohio State coming in, you know, time, you know, things like that. But there seems to be a lot more interaction nowadays with, with, with the school with the school for the blind with the current crop of students um, in, in the local community. Right. Yeah, we got kids and, in, kids that are doing college uh, their senior year of high school and 
got the step program where they're going out and working, and some of the kids are. We've had kids in the past that are uh, getting jobs yeah, right, working, right next door, working right around campus. You know, canes and places like that. Uh, yeah. See, now we had some of that, but not as not very much of it. I won't say it was necessarily discouraged, but it wasn't. I don't feel, and okay, this is personal opinion only. It wasn't necessarily discouraged, but it wasn't exactly encouraged either. There were some students who did have off-campus jobs, but not not really all that many. Anything you want to share with us? Uh, any particular memory, or you want to say hi to anybody, or whatnot? Well, um, I don't know if I know anybody there anymore. Just uh, well, Miss Parano and Miss Butler are both still here. Well, my my uh, my best to both of them, and I think I actually know your uh, Miss Finley. No, yep. I Ms. think she was I think she was there when I was there, so I know her. Um, hello to her. Hello to Phil Northrop. Um, He's still here. I'll never forget what they taught me. Just there because they were just really cool people. Maybe particularly, uh, I'm trying to think if it was her or if it was if it was Miss Finley or there was there was a couple other substitute teachers that were actually very strict with us. Which was probably good for me because um, yeah, you needed it. Not, yeah, well, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit. I kind of was a lot. Of, a lot of people who knew me back in the day. Um, I was a bit of a class clown, um, and sometimes my mouth uh, wrote my I wrote checks I wasn't wasn't able to cash. But I, I guess you'll have that. Right. Well, you know, that's all right though. You're being a a risk taker. Sense. You know, that, life, life is a risk, and right. the way I see it too is you have two choices. You can either get out and live life and let it kick you around and get back up and just keep fighting the fight, and you'll eventually get there, or you can lay down and just let it all pass you by. Right. You know, me, I choose to live. You know. Right. All right. Well, thank you, Dan. Well, anyway. been... Oh, sorry. Right thank on, you. Dan. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Andre. Thank you, Mr. Kelly. Yes, sir. Thank you, Dan. We'll certainly stay in touch. Absolutely, man. And go Bucks. Go Bucks. And this will be coming out on November the 30th. So be happy looking forward to it. Hello everyone, hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving, I certainly did. I'm going to talk about deep frying turkey for a minute. I've been doing this every year, and I'm going to show you on the podcast how I deep fry my turkeys from a blinder's perspective, using a talking thermometer, just kind of describe how it's done as I'm doing it. Alright, this is for the podcast. going to set the phone down here and show you what it sounds like to put a turkey in. First off, I'm going to check the temperature on this thing and see where, where it's at. A little talking thermometer here. 65.1 degrees Fahrenheit. And that is the temperature of my pocket, I think. So you can hear the grease bubbling in the background, so I'll put the thermometer down in the grease. Careful not to uh, get my hand too close to it. 344 Still not quite hot enough. I usually want to get the grease up to around 400 degrees. 
I love this thermometer, though. It's very nice, uh, loud. Give that a few it. more minutes. So I'll describe the setup for you a little bit. I have a propane burner hooked to a propane tank. And on top of the burner, I have an 8-gallon pot that's probably got about four and a half, five gallons of oil in there. And you have to get that oil up to a pretty hot temperature, like 375, 400 degrees or higher. Uh, no higher than 500 because you risk having a big-time fire at that point. So the talking thermometer is very important. It's also very important for the turkey not to be extra moist when you put put it in the in the grease because as you know water and grease really don't mix all that well the extra key is when you lower it into the grease that's very hot you do it very slowly because as you will hear in just a minute the grease will splatter quite a lot on thanksgiving this year i deep fried three turkeys ranging in weight from 10 to 15 pounds of a bird and it was very cold it was 25 degrees outside and it felt like it was between 12 and 15 degrees with the wind chill so it was very hard to get the temperature of that grease up to where i wanted it so we're going to let this heat up to about 375 400 and then we'll put the turkey in there so i'm getting the turkey ready now and this involves um, there's a, a hanger that you put through the bird it goes up through the bottom and out of the top of the turkey and the legs and wings will sit on this uh, metal thing. And then I have another hanger that I attach to that that I use to lower it down into the grease. All right, here we go. All right, so I've got the turkey in my hand, hanging on the hangers. Take the lid off here. You hear the grease bubbling in there. And slowly lowering the turkey into the grease. And man, does it smell good right now. It's down. It's heard the thing hit the bottom, the metal. Next thing is to close it up and let it cook for about two to three minutes a pound. And the taste, when this is done, in about a half hour, 40 minutes, is going to be out of this world. It sears the outside keeps all the juices on the inside and one thing I will tell let you know that when you're working with hot grease it can be very dangerous the most important thing that you can do if you're you can see or not see is constantly monitor that temperature and make sure that it's it stays below 500 degrees and when you're cooking a turkey it's it's once you put the bird in there it's gonna stay between three and four hundred degrees so there you have it folks Cooking deep fried turkey on Thanksgiving. This is Andre. This is Mr. Kelly. And we would like to thank you guys for spending another hour with us this month. This podcast could not be, would not be, what it is without y'all. So let's tell them what we got coming up next month. Next month is December. It's going to be a short month. We will bring you highlights from the winter concert. We'll talk about wrestling a little bit, cheerleading a little bit, and maybe meet some new students or older students. And we will meet some of the folks that uh, we met, Miss Roshana, back in September. So we're going to get back to the front office and meet a couple of more, or one more. We hope you guys really enjoy. And we'll see you next month. Gobble, gobble. Turkey.